Welcome to Wellbeing with Manny in conversation with. What we hear and listen to throughout our day can shape how we feel. If we feed and nourish our soul with wholesome conversations from everyday people filled with positive stories, we may feel less alone and even inspired. We're all working through our own stuff and sometimes you need to hear that you are doing amazing, which you are. Wellbeing with Manny in conversation with is listening to others talk about how they have journeyed life so far, how they keep their well-being in check and how they keep their mindset positive. This is not always possible, but sometimes they share some really good tips on how they improve their well-being just for those days when they're not feeling quite the ticket. Welcome to this Wellbeing with Manny in conversation with community. I really just wanted to build something special that people can feel part of, feel seen and feel valued. Some of the people we speak to have really inspirational stories and hopefully it can resonate with you, make you stop, reflect and also just pick up some top tips along the way. So thank you again for being here and thanks for sharing your time with us. Here's the show. everyone just jumping in to give a quick shout out to the sponsor of this series of well-being with money in conversation with and that's the amazing IA hair and beauty now I don't know about you but as someone who has a very busy life with lots going on an hour hair or beauty appointment can feel like a real treat an absolute essential non-negotiable bit of self-care Sometimes I know that all I need is a fresh French manicure to make me feel a bit brighter. I don't think we should underestimate these little acts of kindness and the impact that they have in our busy lives. So we have a special treat for you, a 15% one-time code across all the IA hair and beauty range. So if that's a gel polish, or beautiful nail art and you just need to jump over to Instagram to see the amazing nail art that Isabel does or a fresh new trim or colour then IA Hair and Beauty is the best. Go to IA Hair and Beauty on Instagram or Facebook and DM Isabel quoting the podcast for your 15% off treat. Enjoy! Welcome back to Wellbeing with Manny in conversation with, and today we have an unbelievable guest. I'm very, very excited to welcome to the channel and to the podcast, Dylany Gaunt. Hi, Dylany, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Really pleased to be here. Oh, I'm so thrilled that you are here on the channel with us. Um, so who are you, Dylany? What do we need to know about you? Okay, so I am a 49-year-old mum of three, um, born and bred in Leeds, still in Leeds, not far from where I was born and bred. Um, I have three girls and my background is I was a social worker in mental health for 20 years and I'm just in the process of setting up my own coaching company now, largely to do with well-being stuff that I didn't feel we were being able to handle within social services. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Um, and Dylan has just the absolute best story to tell, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, but the reason that I know Dylan um, is because Dylan used to be my babysitter, <laughs> which I absolutely love. Um, Dylan was the best babysitter ever, never sent us to bed when we were meant to go to bed. Let me wear all of her rings. Dylan used to wear a ring on every finger. Used to pat my hair. She was just the best. Um, and uh, yeah, you're still in Leeds with a lot of 
family that I still know and friends I still know. So um, yeah, I'm so thrilled that you're here. And so, I now feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> you're not, you're not old, you look amazing. Um, so Delaney, you have one of the most inspirational stories and I think people watching and listening are really going to connect to this because something huge has happened in your life to make you understand everything about the way that you have acted throughout your life so I really just want to I've heard this story and it's just wonderful so I just really want to hand over to you to just explain everything about where you're up to and obviously I'll just ask any questions as we go but I'm just going to hand the floor to you that's fine yeah feel free to butt in shut me up directly where you want me to go um, I'm very good at using 5,000 words when 10 will do so you know um so um I basically for my entire life have said that my brain is broken I've known that I was different to, to everybody else I've known or certainly the people that I was coming across I've known that um I didn't respond to situations like other people I've always known that I was a massive overthinker and would literally lay in bed at night ruminating and ruminating and playing things over and over again in my mind and you know if somebody might have um, looked at me a little bit strangely you know what have I done Go re replaying every single conversation I'd had with them do I need to phone up and apologize do I need to buy them some flowers to say sorry even though I don't know what I've done just because I'm eating my head up with with kind of frantic thoughts really mm -hmm. um so at school my nicknames were um dilly dally Dilly Daydream, Dithery and Dilletry, which I didn't know until about six months ago meant procrastination because I actually looked it up. And they were really, really affectionate nicknames. And my persona was, I'm the scatty one. I was friends with the teachers. I had friends that were pupil, you know, that were peers, although I always felt more comfortable with the teachers than I did with the people of my own age because I felt really different. Um, and I always felt that everybody kind of resonated with each other better than they resonated with me um almost as if they kind of didn't get me like I didn't get them um and I know subsequently because people have told me I was a really hard friend to have because I think they had to prove they felt they needed to prove over and over again that I was their friend and I just kind of really struggled to see that so I went off academically I struggled a bit but um was kind of bottom of the top set so my self-esteem was never brilliant and certainly not around academia um but I went as a mature student because I failed my A-levels um and did a, a social work degree and ended up with a master's in social work and my whole body and and everything was telling me that mental health was the field I wanted to go into I can remember saying to my mum when I was about eight or nine I was put on this planet for a reason and I know I'm supposed to make a difference, but I just don't know what it is yet. And at that point, I was kind of thinking on a global scale, which I kind of have come back to really now in my in my older years. Um, but I realised then that it didn't have to be on a global scale. It could be on, you know, an individual scale or just making a difference within your community. You don't necessarily have to change the world. You have to change, you know, help one person change at a time kind of thing. So mental health was always where my empathy was, where I just felt that I understood my client group and I knew some of what they were going through. Um, got my diagnosis of depression and anxiety when I was about 14 um, and I've battled constantly ever since. And I've had periods where I've been in bed for weeks, um, 
kind of struggle to maintain life as is the norm. Um, so really struggled in terms of keeping things going for a long period of time. So I tend to run and run and run and run and do loads of amazing stuff and then burn out and absolutely hit the deck. And that's very much a pattern. Um, and then my mum and dad, who are probably the people that know me the best, would say, we never know when it's going to happen. We just know that you're up and you're running and all of a sudden you're not and you're not answering the phone and you're completely kind of disappear from from life, as it were. But there's no indication. And I don't think I have an indication really of when it's going to happen either. Um, but I think for me, my biggest life changing points were things had to get a lot worse before they got better. Um, so I had a situation where my sister-in-law unfortunately was diagnosed with a terminal illness um, at a very, very young age. And my mother-in-law was then diagnosed with a terminal illness and died within 24 hours of getting that diagnosis. My sister-in-law died six weeks after that. And the world started to not make sense. Now, I think for me, the world had never made sense. And I'd kind of hung on by my fingernails, trying as best as I could to do what I was supposed to do and fit in with society, whilst feeling that I wasn't doing it very well, I suppose, or yeah. that it wasn't naturally me. So I remember sitting in, can you hear a dog barking constantly? Yeah, do it's okay, don't worry. Oh, dogs in the garden barking. Fine. So I do remember feeling, um, sitting in a concert and looking at, <laughs> so I do remember sitting in a concert um, right near the top and looking at this entire stadium in Sheffield of mm -hmm. people and thinking and watching people dance really freely, clearly not caring if they look silly or how people were perceiving them. Could just see loads of different interactions going on, which I've always liked watching anyway, people's interactions. Um, and suddenly thinking I wonder if anybody else in the stadium is as unhappy as I am mm. and and recognizing that I permanently was in this bubble of unhappiness doing my best to make my way and not doing it very well not even doing it very well externally for you know people would see that I was struggling would know that I was struggling mm. um and so I became the person as I got older and certainly as I had children who struggled to keep up with arrangements, although I'd always done that. I was always walking into school as everybody else was walking out of school because I was late taking my child in. My child was there waiting at the end of the day because I was late picking them up. Um, and um, just everything, you know, I'd go into work early, I'd stay at work late and I'd still have the messiest desk in the office and really struggled with certain tasks knew that my skills working face to face with people were amazing having to write it all up afterwards and what had happened just became like it was like wading through mud and even though I had the academic capability to write it and I had the the work knowledge and knew what I was supposed to be doing there was something that just stopped me being able to do it as fast as other people could do it mm. and again all this is saying to me is you know you're you're no good you're rubbish you're not enough everybody else has got this grown up thing down to a you know a fine fine-tuned kind of um, way of being and you're still like a 10 year old girl playing mum to three girls who were growing up playing wife trying to run a house not very successfully um and so it, your self-esteem takes a complete battering constantly yeah. so 
my sister-in-law got diagnosed with cancer, which through my worldview um, of feeling very safe and very um, kind of cocooned within my little environment. Um, and six weeks before she died, my stepmother-in-law got diagnosed with cancer. And she actually got diagnosed on the 30th of December and died on the 31st, which gave us no time um, for grieving or for getting our heads around it, saying goodbyes. We hadn't prepared the children who knew that their auntie was going to die, but had a very close relationship with their granny. Um, and, you know, one of them went mute for a while. She was nine. She was really close to a granny. The seven-year-old didn't really understand it. I had a two-year-old. Um, and I was kind of reeling. And I dealt with really, really complex bereavement um, uh, trauma, really. Because I had a view that my mother-in-law was never, ever going to be able to be cured. My sister-in-law fought for every second of life that she had. And my mother-in-law refused to go when we were concerned about her and get tests at the hospital. So, excuse me, hay fever. Fine. So, despite, so um, despite knowing, in my head, despite my mother-in-law knowing that my three children were going to be losing their auntie at some point in the near future, mm. she didn't do anything to protect them from them also losing their granny. Mm. Now, it took me a good two years, maybe even longer, to get over the complex emotions, the sadness, the anger, the massive fear of failure that I knew that this lady's mother had done exactly the same thing. She got breast cancer and she didn't tell her children, even though they were grown up. And then literally she was dead within 24 hours of them knowing. And I knew how that had affected my mother-in-law. Mm. So the fact that she was then gonna do it, she did exactly the same thing to us. And I subsequently found out, although I'd been going and, and hassling her and begging her to get help, she'd actually primed my father-in-law to say that everything was fine which was exactly what her mum had done yeah. um, but I had a lot of anger around that and a lot of you know trying to protect my children um, and I also had this fear which I think people have as a rational fear I have it and it went further and became really irrational in terms of how do I protect the health of my children if I don't know what's going on inside them and how can when they're saying to me are you going to die? Is anything going to happen? How can I say no when I have no idea what's going on inside me? I don't think I've got cancer. I feel well. I'm, I want to tell them that no, everything's going to be okay. Mummy's going to be here till she's in some ripe old age and you're grown up and you don't need her anymore kind of thing. But actually, how do I protect them? And how do I, from themselves, you know, from their own illness potentially and also from mine? So one of the things that we did was my mum came with me to um, talk to them and we had a really big discussion with my girls about how my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law were both married into our family. So we didn't have a bloodline, mm -hmm. a genetic link to them. So it didn't mean because the fact they'd have two people that had died because they're not in our bloodline doesn't necessarily mean that mummy or daddy are going to get it or that you're going to get it or grandparents or, you know, other yeah. grandparents or whoever. And all of that was absolutely absolutely fine it wasn't absolutely fine it was really really difficult mm. um but it kind of enabled me to to walk on a bit of a steadier platform I yeah. suppose where I thought I was going mm. um I then um 
my mum so my mum and I had had that conversation with them and six months later my dad got diagnosed with leukemia and on one hand there was the kind of irony of oh my word we've told them it's not in our blood and it's blood cancer and now how the hell do we do this Mm. Um, and my mental health was getting less and less well my marriage was really struggling as a result of my mental health um and I had a massive massive breakdown so I'd also had two surgeries I'd needed to have a hysterectomy on the day my dad got taken into hospital and so there was loads of I'm sure there was hormonal stuff going on as well there must have been Mm. but I went into work one day and at that point I was the safeguarding lead and so I used to chair a lot of meetings over um, vulnerable victims with the police and various other people to put in protection plans and I was so used to doing this and there was no you know done it loads of times before it was nothing particularly challenging Mm. and my admin worker said oh come on Delaney let's go to this meeting and I absolutely fell apart so after standing and sobbing in the office for a really long period of time I could just hear myself saying I can't do it and I can't have people look at me and I can't talk to anybody and I don't want you to see me and I got sent home I got into bed and I didn't get up for about when I say I didn't get up I literally didn't get out of bed for the best part of three weeks and virtually didn't speak um but I also didn't really enter into the world again for probably another two years I really struggled. My dad was in hospital for a long time and was very, very poorly. Um, and I wanted to be there to support my mum. But also my worldview of if you're a good person and you treat others well and you do your best by other people, mm. then things will be quite kind to you. Not that nothing bad will ever happen because bad things happen to everybody. Yeah. But, you know, things will be quite kind. And actually my dad, who is one of the nicest men on the planet, who has always been an equal with my mum in parenting, who has always taken his own, done his own chores in the house, who, as my um, ex-husband would say, if you said hello to your dad on the street, Dylan, he'd get 10% off in his business. It's like, (laughs) this man had just sold his business, was just about to go on a cruise with my mum and do all these retiring things after losing his daughter-in-law and supporting my brother and, and having such a difficult time and we're told that he's got like a 70% chance of, of dying. Mm. One of the things that I recognised in myself then is I cannot cope with not knowing. Mm. So when I knew that my sister-in-law was terminal, we had the best year. Our relationship got closer. We went on spa days. We drank cocktails. It was like, how can we give her the best 12 months of her life? Mm. You know, obviously I wasn't there all the time. She was with my brother and whatever. Mm. But yeah. I knew what was happening. I could not cope with looking at my dad and thinking is he going to die isn't he going to die am I going to get a phone call today am I not going to get a phone call so I was on edge permanently it yeah. was it was just and I realized I've never liked change I've always struggled with change mm. and what it did was it gave me another massive breakdown so I would say for the last eight years of my life um I've struggled significantly yeah um about four years ago maybe um I got offered a job through an agency in Guernsey and I have never been anywhere by myself I'm too scared I wouldn't even go to uni away from home I went to uni in Leeds and in Bradford so I was still near enough to home um so 
it was a massive thing. I actually left the children. I left my husband and mm-hmm. I went to work for the Bournemouth contract in Guernsey. Mm-hmm. I stepped off a plane into an island where I knew not a soul. I lived on my own, which I've never done. I had no friends and I spent most of my time on my own and completely rediscovered myself. So wow. I came back from that with a lot of really good wellness practices and mm-hmm. things that I knew to do for me. Um, I came back a renewed person, but what I found was that once then back here, although I took some skills with me and I took some kind of learnings with me, I still struggled back yeah. in this environment, back with the challenges of being a mum mm. and my marriage was falling apart and what was I going to do for work and money and all these kind of things. And, um, and so I... Um, I came back, kind of did my best to to muddle along, went to a workshop and did vision boards and realised that I put escape twice on my vision board by accident. I'd actually cut it out twice, not realised, and just kind of stuck it in different places. And then I had like a picture of a woman in the middle of a field with nobody around her. And then COVID hit. And I actually thought, because mine was very much stop the world, I want to get off. Yeah too fast and too and I was like oh my god I've made it happen because what I've asked for is escape from like the world as it was yeah and time to reflect and sit in fields and well I've never done so much walking I got a dog from Romania um and I was still having really big problems with one of my children or two of my children were struggling but one of them particularly and I was struggling and I was aware that my emotional regulation was not as it should be Mm. and I still couldn't do everything I wanted to do and wasn't living my life like a responsible person. So to me, I was I was still broken. Mm. I'd be embarrassed for people to come to my house because it was chaotic. Yeah. And I'd still forget things and be late and, and spend half my time looking for things. And so I was doing some research for my daughter, um, who is now 10, um, and started looking at ADHD assessments because I was fairly I was fairly certain that that was what was happening for her Mm -hmm. and I was also very aware of been learning a lot about trauma for my new business Mm -hmm. so I was looking at kind of childhood traumas and generational traumas and what was I putting onto her and what had been put onto me and and it's really clear to see where some of your limiting beliefs come from yeah you know if you just kind of go back the generations and especially for me being Jewish it not being that long ago that my grandparents great-grandparents were coming out of having nothing into a strange country and all the things that that bring about you know the trauma that they had that that then went down so I found it all really interesting and I have been aware that some of my daughter's issues at school are very similar to some of mine so looking away in on this computer and I see an article about women with ADHD being diagnosed Mm. and this is the key bit isn't it oh my breakthrough I literally read this article and it was as if somebody had said, write down everything you can about Dylany. Because every single box, there was not a box that wasn't ticked in terms of ADHD and my brain. And when I thought back then to the dilly dally, dilly daydream, dithery, dilatory, those, those traits have been who I've kind of made myself, you know, one of the reasons that my marriage broke up was my husband said to me, you being chaotic when we didn't have three children was kind of cute. 
when we're trying to run a family and we've got extra life pressures, your chaos actually just causes me so much stress and anxiety that I can't manage that. Mm. And I never knew what to do about it. And all of a sudden I'm reading all these things and I'm thinking, my brain doesn't work the same as everybody else's. Oh my God, my brain's different. And that's why I don't function like all of you. And it was the most freeing. It only happened three months ago. Wow. Freeing thing. Because where I was putting myself back to bed and thinking, it's because I've got depression and I like motivation. And I'm trying to use all these coping strategies. And I'm on the top BNF dose of antidepressants. And I've put on force down and I don't feel like me and I'm still plodding through it all. Um, and it's not working. And I've spent time where I've been thinking, I'm 49. It's taken me 49 years to learn what's wrong with my brain, right? Actually, not what's wrong with it. What's different about it? Because there's nothing different? wrong with it. What's different? Absolutely. What's different? That's part of the thing. There is nothing wrong with my brain. Yeah. My brain just works differently. Some people have limps. Some people are obese some people are very very skinny and have a mental metabolism everybody's different and my brain is different it's not broken no and joined a facebook forum and all of a sudden i met all these people that were like me and some of the things they put on were like i put something on the other day because this is something that i wouldn't necessarily share with my friends because it'd make me feel like a failure not that they would but that i would feel like a failure um is I've just washed the same loads of clothes four times because I washed them, forgot they were there. I've got a separate room where my washing machine is, so I don't naturally walk past it. A day later, I thought, where are those clothes? Oh, gosh, they're still in the washing machine. I'll put them on again because otherwise they're going to smell damp. A bit later, oh, my gosh, two more days have passed. The clothes are still in the washing machine. Now we've barely got no clothes. Kids are looking for school shirts. Oh, put a wash on again. Then put them out on the line. And don't realise they're on the line because I forget because I go off and do something else um, until it's rained and then I have to put them back in the wash. And I just messaged this group and went, does anybody else like this? And all these people going, oh, my gosh, yes, I do. I did that yesterday. I have to set a timer. I, you know, and I was like, I'm the same yeah. as certain people. And, and it is so powerful to hear that because, you know, one of the things I always say about this is when you hear real life stories from real people who go through similar things to you, you feel seen, you feel less alone, you know where to turn, oh. you feel part of something. And you, when you said that, then I just had goosebumps, you know, that you found a group, you know, on Facebook, they were your tribe. They were similar to you. Oh. And the thing is, they're my tribe in the sense that we have the same neurodiversity. And I think now I've got a couple of friends on Facebook who are fellow coaches, who are people that I've interacted with for years. One of them's just been diagnosed. And there's another one. And when I look, we go through the same patterns. We're doing this job, then we've stopped and we're doing this. And there's this thing on until we do this. And that's ready for this. And that's, and we're kind of everywhere. And I can see it now. And I can see my middle daughter who'd said to me, my friends think I'm ADHD. And I'd been like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because to me, ADHD is people standing up in classrooms, throwing chairs across the room, being really aggressive. You know, ADHD in women is very, very different. Yeah. And actually, when I look at the rejection dysphoria and the overthinking and the overwhelm and what she'd said to me when she was 14, which is I know, something I shared with you before that made you laugh. Don't know why I can't do things, mum. I just seem to get distracted by shiny things. And of course, she's ADHD. And feel guilty because for three years she's continued with ADHD having told me and I've not got tested 
I've now had to pay privately because the waiting lists yeah. for ADHD, they were enormous. Now, the thing with that, that that amuses me is they're now saying, I think something like over 30% of people are diagnosed with ADHD or will be diagnosed mm. um, with ADHD. And if you then add to them the people that have any kind of learning impairment or anybody that is on the autistic spectrum yeah. or anybody that has Tourette's or any of the other kind of things, you actually realise that neurodiversity is probably more common than neurotypical. So all these tools of do this time management course, Delaney, and then you'll be fine. Well, no, I can't do that time management course. Why can't I do it? Because I'm not good enough, because I'm a failure, because I'm rubbish. No, I can't do it because it's made for people with neurotypical brains mm. and I don't have a neurotypical brain. So I need to use different tools that yeah. will work for me. Yeah. And how's your how's your journey now? Now that you it feels like obviously there's there's a long way to go with you being able to kind of manage this, I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, for for the best part of your life, um, you've kind of put yourself down and thought that you know I can't meet friends on time why is that I can't go to parties that it's too overwhelming and but not known the reasons as to why so that kind of layered levels of you saying you know I'm not good enough and you know that self-worth and self-esteem takes a battering so you know where are you in trying to you know get back to who you absolutely should be so I am going to try medication Mm -hmm. more because I'm really interested because some people have said that actually realizing what other people's brains work like when you're on the medication is so mind-blowing because all of a sudden you do do these tasks and you are focused and so I am going to try that um but one of the things that's really important for me is me being able to do it for me and not being medication based you know without doing the hard work yourself and because of, of the work that I do with people I want to be able to help other people empower themselves with tools not just by saying go see a doctor and get some medication mm. um, so I've learned things like um, meditation I do tactile meditation mm. or I there's an amazing amazing man called Shazad Sharmin who um, does positive psychology and he actually does these set meditations and you can do them for two minutes, for 12 minutes. So you can build yourself up, but they're very much around what can you see? What can you smell? What can you hear? What mm -hmm. can you touch? So because a neurodiverse brain like mine will go off into so much overwhelm, it's not the same as meditation where you're just going off and having to bring yourself back because it's not as easy as that because your brain isn't work, it doesn't work like that. So I found that that for me is really key. Mm. How I talk to myself. So now, instead of me saying, oh, it's my motivation. Well, I've had this for years and I know that when I've got no motivation, I can't really do anything. So I'll just go back to sleep or I'll, you know, lay in bed all day and just let the hours pass until I have to go pick my daughter up from school and I'll do very little. Now I'm saying to myself, no, no, you don't like motivation. Your brain is overwhelmed and it's a little bit hard for you to get out and do stuff. So how do you break it up? Right, so let's not, I'm a very much end goal type of person. This is where I wanna be. And if I'm hyper-focused and if it's something like raising money for a charity, mm -hmm. I can, I'm, 
I'm like no other. People get in touch with me now since COVID. Dylan, you were sending a busload to Ukraine. What can you get hold of? And I'll have my car boot filled in about five minutes and be taking yeah. them over. And um, But for my own personal goals, it's very much been very long distance goals, which then make it impossible to achieve. So I break things up and I can I talk to myself differently because I understand what's going on in my head. So it's no different to how I'm talking to my child, really. Yeah. Um, I am very much into the kind of NLP, hypnotherapy, how you speak. And because I have spent so long saying, I'm rubbish, I just can't do it. I'm rubbish, I just can't do it. I'm not as good as everybody else because they can. Um, I'm very much more mindful of what words I use. I even have tattooed on my foot, I am enough. Yes! I think it's mad. So, but I was like, you know what? Because actually, I, I am enough. You are. In in my difference, you know? Yeah. So wow. I'm very much into gratitude mm. and not gratitude. I'm quite a negative thinker and I will, I can turn things very quickly into a negative spiral. Yeah. So, and now sometimes... I will still do that, don't get me wrong. You know, flipping neck, the kids are driving me mad and they've done this and they don't appreciate me and they don't clear up after themselves and they give me mouthfuls all the time and rah, 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 yeah. and I'll go on a walk with my dog and I'll think, how lucky am I to have raised children that aren't too scared to talk back to me and tell me what they think? How lucky am I that I have these three feisty girls that are going to be able to make their own way? Yeah. How lucky am I that I've been able to give birth to three children and that they've actually lived till they're 18, 16 and 10 yeah. and have a roof over their heads. So turning that on its head mm-hmm. is really helpful. Yeah. I spend a lot of time looking at nature. I'm very aware now that I need quiet time for my brain and yeah. that's because I can't cope. That's just because I need quiet time for my brain. doesn't even need more exp- explanation, does it? Absolutely. Yeah. So, the other day I was really proud. I've gone from having loads and loads of friends and being out every Saturday night and every Sunday night and whatever to having a very close circle of friends mm-hmm. that I've met in all different places. A lot of my old friends I don't have anymore. So I do wild swimming and I've met a tribe wild swimming yeah. and I do dog walking with my rescue dog. And I've met a tribe of dog walkers that I never knew before that are just completely different, don't know all my history, haven't grown up in my little community, haven't got preconceived ideas about me because my preconceived ideas were me before I knew and me really struggling. And having got to the stage several times where I thought I cannot do this for another 49 years, you know, in my depths of of depression, looking and ways of, of not being here, and having to really remind myself that it wasn't true that my children were better off without me. Yeah. But having to have that level of insight from being professional, I think, yeah. to maintain that, mm. to not lose yourself in your darkest hours. Yeah. And I, I just know now what fills my heart with joy and I know what I need to do to look after me. I'm doing a lot of learning. One of the most amazing things you can read about people is polyvagal theory and somatic healing. Because one of the things I've always said is, I know what day I'm going to have before I even open my eyes on a morning. 
because I know if my solar plexus is, is feeling heavy, I know if my stomach's churning, I know if I've got my shelf in my throat, and before I've even opened my eyes, I'll be thinking, I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? And then my brain will give me a reason why I'm anxious. Yes. 80% of your messages come from your body to your brain, not from your brain to your body. Yes. So as soon as I realise that, why am I trying to find a reason for it? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've got, if I've got something that I know has happened that's triggered me and I have my little crying child in my stomach, I will give my little crying child space and I will acknowledge her and I will nurture her in a way that I've not been able to nurture myself before, really. Yeah. Um, but what I do now is I think you're feeling really anxious. OK, what can you do? Yeah. Don't look for a reason. Yeah. If a reason isn't coming to you, don't make one, because then all that's happening is your brain's then looking for reasons for you to be anxious. Yeah. And you're just having a knock on effect of so very much for me, it's OK, I feel very anxious. Bit of an overwhelming day, maybe. What will I do? Right. All you need to do, Dylan, is go downstairs and get your first cup of coffee because, you know, yeah. you, think, you know, OK, I'll do that. Yeah. And if the kids are late for school, I'm really sorry. I have ADHD and it prevents me from having accurate time management. I've only just found out it's something I'm learning. Yeah. And I will get there, but you're going to have to bear with me. Yes. So don't use your diagnosis as an excuse, Mm -hmm. but it is a reason. And you wouldn't feel sorry. You wouldn't feel apologetic saying to somebody, I'm really sorry I'm feeling a bit funny, but I'm about to have a hypo and I need to go and do what I need to do for my diabetes. Yeah. No, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't feel the need to, to explain as much as you do when you've got mental mm. ill health. Yeah. So don't use it as an excuse, but use it as an as a way to understand yourself yeah. better. And I've started approaching some of my old friends when I didn't turn up for parents' funerals because I couldn't physically leave the house. Yes. I'd let them down for parties. And, I'd, and I've got in touch with them and I've said, I've always had regret that I treated you like this. And I just want you to know that I couldn't help it. Wow. And even if we don't yeah. regain that friendship, I don't feel like I have hurt people or let people yes. down offering some form of explanation. Yeah. Oh, Delaney, my gosh, what an inspiring story. And also just like hearing you on the path where you want to be, finding people who support you, understanding yourself and talking to yourself in in a way that that is is kinder is more compassionate it's just wonderful to kind of see you on the other side of this it really is um so I just I can't thank you enough for coming on I know how much people are going to enjoy this because again you know people may be listening and thinking oh you know I've thought this about myself or I've thought this you know you've given everybody such an insight and loads of things to to do and try and yeah, it's just For sure. And certainly if you do think that you have a neuro a neurodiverse brain, just jump onto a Facebook group or something with other people that have it. And yeah. you'll know very quickly whether or not you do. Yeah. And you'll know very quickly whether or not you you resonate. Yeah. And mm. um, but do a bit of, of exploration because getting the right answers yeah. frees you to live the rest of your life. And I feel I've already wasted, not wasted not had as good a or as yeah. beneficial 50 years and not achieved what I could have achieved. Yeah. Had I have known this a long time ago. So, yeah. you know, grab life because absolutely people don't get the chance to grab it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, 
Uh, Jake Humphrey does say on the High Performance Podcast, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the second mm. best time to plant a tree today? So, yeah, incredible, incredible. Delaney, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellbeing with Manny in conversation with and thank you for being part of our community. It really is all for you. It's all purpose driven. And I really hope that you've got something from the episode today. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it with anyone who you feel would benefit from hearing these open and real conversations. Please make sure that you are following and you are subscribed to make sure you never miss an episode, either on your app of choice or on YouTube. And if you can, please rate and review the channel. That would be so, so helpful because it helps other people find us. And finally, just remember that it is all about talking. It is all about sharing. So think, reach out. Who will you have a conversation with? Have a fabulous week. See you next week.